Welcome to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers that will help you better understand Scripture so it will have a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Jenstead, the staff minister for Nurture at St. Andrew. Hi everyone, thank you for listening to Impact. Here's words from Psalm 119. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. This time that you were spending with God in his eternal word is time well spent. Back here with Pastor Eric Shazer at Fox Valley Lutheran. We're going to continue our study of Revelation chapter 12. Let's begin with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your eternal, life-changing, and life-giving word. May our time spent in your word today be a blessing to us. Amen. So, Pastor Shazer, thank you again for your time today. Welcome back to Impact. It's good to see you again. Sure, Mark. Thanks for having me. You've got an Aztecs shirt on. Is that uh, San Diego State? Yeah, San Diego State. My oldest son, Zachary, he attended uh, San Diego State, and he actually has stayed out in California. He produces uh, television commercials out in uh, L.A. He lives in Pasadena. He said he can see the Rose Bowl from his apartment. Uh, it's pretty awesome. It's one of those things where, obviously, his mother and I wish he was closer to home, but uh, he went on a mission trip Well, he was in grade school through our church, through Emmanuel in uh, Greenville, Wisconsin, with a bunch of his friends, and they went out to San Diego and helped the congregation out there. He loved it and said, that's where I'm going to go to college. So that's where he's at, and uh, this is just a... uh, a t-shirt from some store out in uh, San Diego when he was going to school out Very there. Very cool. So. Jessica, my wife, and I went to San Diego for our honeymoon, and then 10 years later, we went back there again. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah. San Diego's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and when I think of San Diego State, SDSU, there's another SDSU that, that is closer to my heart, the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. So in, in, in my world, when I hear SDSU, I go to Brookings, South Dakota. It's just like when I hear Watertown, I go to Watertown, South Dakota, because that's where my son goes to high school. That's where I was born, as opposed to Watertown, Wisconsin. So there you go. Whatever that which means. Which we could we could debate which is better. <laughs> yeah. Which SDSU is better, which Watertown is better. Since I lived in Watertown, I I think I figured out when I was uh, 28 years old, I had lived in Watertown like half my life, going to high school, Northwestern Prep, and college, Northwestern College, and tutoring there for a couple of years at Northwestern College. So I'd lived uh, lived a bunch of years there. So I like we'll Watertown, that, Wisconsin. We'll have that debate off uh, <laughs> okay. off uh, off air. Uh, that might be more fun than this first question I'm going to ask you, because this <laughs> is a heavy question. Yep. And I'll just ask you to do your best with it, because I know it's uh, it's one of those questions that's nearly impossible to ask. For us mere mortals, I'm looking at the end of verse nine, and we talked last week about this war in heaven, and then it says, "He, that's the that's that's the the dragon, Satan. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him." So we think of uh, Satan rebelling against God back back sometime uh, during creation week before the fall, not during creation week, after creation week before the fall. Yep. Right. Uh, rebelled against God, and here it says that he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So so there's my question, uh, and I've been asked this before, and it's a very difficult question to ask. I'm going to ask you anyway. 
Why did God not destroy Satan? Why, why hurl him to earth and make Satan our problem? Mark, that's an awesome question, and I'm sure people smarter than us have a have a, a better answer, but I just remember going back to when I was growing up, that is a question I had that I asked my dad, uh, why, why did God put uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden if he knew exactly what Adam and Eve were going to do? Before you answer that, uh, tell, before you tell us what your dad said, was your dad a pastor? No, he was not. He was a pharmacist in a big uh, hospital in Chicago, super smart guy, taught himself Hebrew and Greek so he could study the Bible in the original languages and wait sent... A minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Say that again. Your dad taught himself Hebrew and Greek so he yeah. could study the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, I remember him doing that growing up. He would take uh, different passages and go back to the original languages. And like I said, he was a really smart guy. And he was the one who sent sent us to Northwestern Prep. Uh, myself, uh, my sister Kristen, who's three years younger, and then my brother Kurt uh, sent us to Northwestern Prep. My brother Kurt's a pastor. Uh, my sister graduated from DMLC uh, with an education degree, and uh, so that was all him. We didn't have we didn't have a choice. We had a public high school where all my buddies went two blocks down the road, but. Uh, uh, he was. He wanted us to be pastors and a teacher, and that was because he couldn't do it uh, for various reasons. But he was very instrumental in my brother and I becoming pastors, and my sister becoming a teacher. Awesome. Yeah. Great story. Okay. So, what was his answer? Anyway, getting back to uh, yeah, my my I I can vividly remember uh, right where we were. My dad was shaving. And I, whatever, walked into the bathroom and I said, Dad, I, I got a question for you. And uh, just asked, you know, why did the Lord put the uh, tree of the garden of, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? And why would he do that, knowing what was going to happen? And his answer was love, that it was going to become an opportunity for him to show his love obviously through the promise of a Savior, but it was also an opportunity for Adam and Eve to show their love by obeying the Lord's commands. That was a form of worship for them, you know, obedience to God's, to God's command, not to eat from this tree. And so Satan being in our world today gives us an opportunity to show God love by saying no to Satan. Yes, yeah. I, well, how about you? How would you answer that question? What's the question? <laughs> Why? Why? We got to get on to the rest of Revelation. Here. Why? No, you can't. You can't skirt this. I know you have something to say, Mark. So, well, the idea that why did God make Satan our problem? I like your answer. Uh, the way you you framed the question, it it does give us an opportunity to show our love to God. Um, forced love is not love. I mean, we really have a reason to love God, and we have many reasons to love God. But now that he has rescued us from Satan, that's the number one reason, right? I would also say, I don't know. Let's let God be God. Sometimes that's our best answer. Sometimes that's our only answer. I don't know. Let's let God be God. I, I would agree. Sometimes we try and we think we're smart enough that we can figure out 
everything. And there are certain things we have to be very careful about not trying to make everything fit. There are promises the Lord has made and things he has said are true that in our rational minds, don't they don't go together. They don't add up. Uh, and we need to simply do what you said and know that God is not bound by our human our human minds, our limitations. And uh, you think of that that opportunity that Adam and Eve had to love. They were not they were not robots. They were not controlled by some you know uh, uh, PlayStation controller in the sky that the Lord just used. Uh, they could make their own choices. And unfortunately, they made a choice, and now the devil is our problem, too. Just to pick up on something you said, and then we'll get back to the text here, Revelation 12, folks. Uh, I said this in a Bible class last week. We have to be very—and this is what you said—we have to be very careful when we're trying to answer these questions, especially if we're, if we're trying to rationalize and come to a, a good logical answer. And what I said in the Bible class was very often when we do that or when people do that and they, they, they say, we have to have an answer here that makes sense, you end up with false doctrine because a lot of the answers just don't make sense. And if we force them to make sense, we can change the meaning of Scripture. So we have to be very careful. And I think that's, that's been a problem over the, over the centuries is people trying to go too far to try and explain something instead of doing what you said. Well, it's what God says. I, I don't necessarily have a good explanation or a reason for it other than, well, that's what God says, and he knows better. I want to go to verse 12. No, back it up. I want to go to verse 10 now, Pastor. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, so this is John, right? John is the one that's receiving this vision. So John says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Do we know who this loud voice is? Uh, the voice is not identified uh, here in Revelation. Uh, he, the voice speaks for all believers, uh, for all the angels. Uh, so we just we don't really know other than it's uh, part of a uh, part of John's vision and this voice speaks to him. Okay. Continuing on in verse 10 it says now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. It's just a beautiful phrase. It continues for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. What does this say about Satan that he's been hurled down in this way? That's the, the real victory is being spoken of there, that the devil can no longer accuse us because our sins have been forgiven. And God, is, God has won the victory. This is no longer just a promise. Uh, it's happened. It's a proclamation of an accomplished fact. This has been done. And, and you said this is, this is really the, the overall message of the entire letter, the entire epistle of Revelation. Uh, that Jesus wins, yeah, and he was. Remember, we haven't talked about the first, we haven't talked about the first couple chapters of Revelation, but it was written in chapters two and three to a group of congregations in Asia Minor who were being persecuted and they were struggling and they were suffering, and the Lord is sending them this message in in apocalyptic literature, this picture language telling the future, letting them know it's going to be okay, it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be okay because Jesus has won. Jesus wins, and in the end, 
you're going to be in heaven with me. And that's, uh, he keeps doing this throughout Revelation. That's why it's such an awesome message and such an awesome part of scripture for us today in the world we live in. And, you know, we think, oh, things are so horrible. It's never been this bad. All you have to do is look back, and it's been bad. But the Lord does say it's going to, it's, you know, there will be an increase in wickedness. He says that in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, he says, Revelation makes it clear that, you know, the devil will have uh, uh, more, a little more leash. You know, picture a, a dog in the front yard. You put the stake down, and the, the dog can only go so far. Well, the Lord does say that in the end times, which we're living in, that the devil, he's going to give the devil a little more leash. So the devil's going to have a little more more power and a little more sway. And, you know, we see that happening. It, it's going on. It has been going on. It's not a started last week sort of thing. But it has been going on. And the wonderful comfort we get from Revelation is that it's going to be okay, as difficult as it is. Jesus has won the victory. Regarding that analogy with the dog on the leash, I remember reading once, I think it was uh, Becker, first name. Um, Siegbert. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, that he said that that leash is shortest where the gospel is proclaimed in its truth and purity. Exactly. And that's why as we look at our world, you know, we realize that you know, there are a lot of places in the world it, it needs to be preached, and there are so many people that need to hear it. And so we shouldn't be surprised that things are going on that are going on, because uh, the Lord in Matthew 24 says, the love of many will grow cold, that many will fall away from the faith. You know, it's happened. It's happening. It's happened. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that things are not good, because so many have fallen away. Okay, Pastor, back to the text here in verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So I always like to figure out who they is. They overcame him. I think this goes back to the previous verse, the accuser of our brothers, and we think they're of, of brothers and sisters. Uh, Satan's been hurled down. Uh, they overcame him. So those in heaven overcame the accuser. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. How about that verse? Yeah, again, it's talking about it's talking about the church, it's talking about believers who have been and are being persecuted uh, by the devil, his angels, and uh, his minions who are out there. And persecution is something, here in the U.S., we deal with it a little bit. You know, people thinking we're weird because we don't do certain things or we believe certain things to be true. Uh, we get called names, and we're intolerant and, and not progressive and, and things like our forward thinking or whatever it happens to be. One thing we don't hear as much about is like actual physical persecution, but that's happening all over the world. There are Christians being persecuted. Their lives are on the line because they are Christian. That's not really something we deal with here in the U.S. It's a lot more serious. Uh, I read a stat that more more Christians have been martyred in the la in the 1900s than in the entire 1,800 years before that, if my math is correct. You know, we think, oh yeah, early Christian church, Roman government, all this persecution, all these Christians being killed. More more Christians have been killed in the last 
you know, 100 years or so than all the years before that. And uh, that's just, that's mind-boggling because we don't hear about it. And those are the documented cases that we know of. Uh, so that's what this is talking about, is uh, believers who have been persecuted and and are being persecuted. Uh, there are victories in the blood of the Lamb and proclaiming, uh, you mentioned the gospel before, how, you know, that, how do you tamp down the devil and his work by proclaiming the gospel and proclaiming God's word? That's what's being described there, and uh, I think right at the end of verse 11, it talks about they, they will not shrink from death. They're suffering, and yet the joy is now. The victory's been won. That's what we talked about before. Jesus has won the victory. Our joy is now. We have heaven, despite persecution or suffering or whatever it may be. Verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Pastor, that verse makes me think of Peter's words, how the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here the word is woe. I think, Mark, we talked about that before. You asked the question about do we underestimate the devil and his power or his his work, his eagerness to do his work. And I think this is a, a good reminder of that because he knows his time is short and he's working super hard, super hard. Again, he wants us to curse God and fall away from the faith. That is his ultimate goal. And he knows time is limited, so he's working really hard. And we have to be aware of that. It says he's filled with fury. Why is the devil filled with fury? Or maybe a a better question is, who is this fury directed at? Is it directed at us or is it directed at God? I wonder, I I would think it's directed at God, you know, being cast out and not having uh, the position of power that he wanted and being, being cast out and now being an enemy of the all-powerful God, uh, the true God. Uh, but I wonder if there isn't some, and again, I smarter people may know may know more than me, but I think there there is probably some anger with believers too, for not for not following him all in, because we certainly do. Uh, but not going all in, that having the 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 Jesus peace or the Jesus part, where there's a part of us that loves God and loves Jesus and loves doing his will. Uh, the devil wants our sinful nature to reign where we hate God and we hate, you know, hate doing his will. That's, that's his ultimate goal. So I, there is probably some of that fury is directed at believers too. Trying to understand more about Satan because I think um, the, the more we understand about Satan, our number one enemy, the, the, better, the better we can over, overcome him. Uh, do you think, Pastor, that the devil spends more time on God's people? He yes. Goes, he goes after yeah. God's people more so than, than he goes after the world? Sure. I, I think so, uh, because he's already got the world doing what he wants and promoting what he wants. The people who aren't promoting those things and aren't into those things are believers, so he's working really hard at us, because we're the ones who haven't uh, followed him wholeheartedly. 
I guess I asked that because you're here at Fox Valley Lutheran. I taught at a high school for, for 20 years, uh, uh, Illinois Lutheran High School. And from time to time, I'd hear a comment like, well, I can't believe the kids here would do something like that, or I can't believe the kids here behave like that. And, and I understand that. I mean, we should be, we are set apart. So how we live as Christians should be noticeably different than the world. However, we have a sinful nature that's every bit as powerful as an unbeliever's sinful nature. And the devil, the devil, he's coming after Christians, isn't he? I think uh, the big word you used there, Mark, was noticeably different. It ought to be noticeably different. If you are doing the Lord's will and honestly going through that cycle of repentance that we talked about last week of genuine sorrow for sin, you know, what, I, what I've done is wrong. I've given God and his reputation a black eye. I've damaged my relationship with him. And I've also almost always damaged my relationship with somebody else, but yet I know I'm forgiven, and now change, that I go in a new direction. So if the Christian is working hard at those things, your life will be noticeably different. But that's the whole point, is there was a reason there was repentance in the first place. There was a reason Jesus had to die in the first place, is we do follow our own sinful nature. We do follow the devil and his temptations. Uh, so nothing should ever shock us, you know, as a pastor, a teacher in a high school, as a parent. I always tell, tell my students that you need to be the parent that understands that anything is possible, that your child, what they do, should not shock you. And you need to be, you can't just fly off the handle or you can't overreact because guess what? Then they won't tell you things. They need to know that, yep, mom and dad are going to be disappointed, but yet they'll help me work through this, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and I think that's so important for us as Christians. We should What people do or what fellow Christians do should never shock us or surprise us because the sinful nature is powerful, the devil's powerful. But we need to be there. Uh, with the law, if that's what they need. Uh, and then we need to be there with uh, when there's understanding that what I've done is wrong, uh, then the gospel and forgiveness. Verse 13, Pastor. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. I don't know, I guess as I look at that verse, I say this means the devil, he can't get to Jesus, so he goes after the flock. And I think that's what we've been talking about uh, for a lot of this time, Mark, the devil. You know, how does he do that? Whether it's suffering or temptation, you know, the big thing, the big thing the devil wants us to do is doubt. Doubt God's power. Doubt God's wisdom. Doubt God's love. And that's, that's what he's doing. And yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a reason uh, we are called a flock. We are his followers. And yet, the great thing is, we have a shepherd protecting us, and he's also given us, you know, the, the weapons to protect ourselves, his word and his promises and, and all that. Verse 14, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. That goes back to verse 6, right? Yeah, it's talking about the same thing, life in this world, that word desert or wilderness is used again. 
life in this world. That's why uh, Revelation chapter 7 calls it the Great Tribulation. That's that's our life in this world as we live it. It's going to be difficult. And yet, the Lord has prepared it for us, and He's with us. He's got a plan for our lives. He's going to use us uh, to accomplish what he, he wants us to accomplish, and He's going to take care of us there despite the difficulties of it. Anything on the image of these two wings that are given to the woman, two wings of an eagle, which enable her to, uh, I guess, fly away, uh, where she can, she's out of the serpent's reach? I Again, I think that's talking about uh, God and his word and the ability he gives us to, um, you know, to flee, to flee temptation. But that's I'd I'd have to check into that some more. That's not something I've spent a lot of time on. So okay, don't quote me on that. All right, I won't. Uh, verses fifteen through seventeen. Then these verses explain a lot: persecution, the ultimate triumph of Christ. So be sure you spend some time looking at these verses, folks. Uh, what about these these closing verses here in the chapter? Um, I can read them here. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. (laughs) There's a lot in there. Pastor, uh, can you help us understand what's going on in these closing verses of this chapter? And Mark, getting back to, before I answer that question, getting back to verse uh, 14, I did jot a couple of things down that I had forgotten about uh, as far as the wings on, uh, on the, uh, the woman. Uh, I think it was Becker uh, who said that this is God's, God's care and concern for us, you know, his protection. Again, like we mentioned, you know, he does allow us to flee temptation. He's given us the the weapons and the means to do that. And how many temptations and how many evils has the Lord kept away from us that we don't even know about, right? Uh, Getting to those last uh, verses, 15 to 17, uh, ultimately the devil spewing forth uh, water like a river, uh, talking about false teaching, you know, you think of all the false teachings that have led people astray, and we do this in church history. We talk about some of the false teachings in the early Christian church, and they led people away from Jesus and that sort of thing. And some of those are still alive and well today in various forms, so that's not something that has stopped. But ultimately, it talks about uh, the devil and these spewing these false teachings, and yet the earth helps uh, dry them up, uh, swallowing the river, whether false teaching is discredited or shown to be false, or it just sort of dies out. So that's probably what's pictured there. And then that last, uh, the last verse there, 17, uh, this helps us understand who this woman is. If the rest of Scripture, uh, you know, if you're not convinced by that, right here at the end, he talks about the women's offspring. You know, people who follow the Lord's commands. So again, who are we talking about? This woman and and all that we're talking about believers. So I guess I look at the big picture here of chapter 12. Uh, we see that uh, as God's people, we have, we have an enemy that is powerful and relentless. And left to ourselves, we have no shot, no shot against this enemy, but... 
but we have one who has defeated this enemy on our behalf, and that's that's our Savior Jesus. And, and so that's that's chapter twelve. It's I, all in there. And I think the Lord is very transparent with us. He's very honest with us. You know, life will be difficult, and He shows us here as He describes the devil and how the devil is going to act and the struggle. You know, life in the desert. He is very transparent with us and very honest that you should not expect just because you're a Christian, that idea is out there that if you're a Christian, everything is going to go great for you. Uh, and if something doesn't go great, well, it's your fault. You're, you're not praying enough. You don't love Jesus enough. You know, that is out there in some segments of Christianity, and that's not true. The, the truth is, the Lord says, your life, you can be the most dedicated, devoted Christian, and your life's going to be tough. And you may have to deal with some things that maybe some other Christians don't. But the Lord's very real with us when he says, this is what's going to happen. But as you mentioned, the great thing is, Jesus has won. And Jesus wins. And you and I are going to heaven. And that means all these things. And it's hard for us to envision these things being temporary because it seems like to us, you know, 80 years is forever or 55 years. Man, it's a long time. Uh, but yet it's temporary. Uh, uh, Pastor Emmanuel one time described it as just like a puff of puff of smoke. All of a sudden it's there, and then it's gone. That's our life in this world, and it is. It's just temporary. The Lord takes care of us here, and he will take care of us forever at his side, and that's, that's the message of revelation, that Jesus has won, and we win. All right, we'll have that be uh, the closing words for today. Thank you again for your time, Pastor, and God's blessings on your school year here at Fox Valley Lutheran. Sure, Mark. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, having me on again. I love talking about this stuff. So we'll bring you back someday. Uh, Revelation again, or you want to go somewhere different? Uh, we'll, we'll talk off air, and we'll see what's <laughs> bad. There's a lot of Revelation to go. We've only co covered two chapters. Yeah, if we're so going backwards, I guess we go to chapter 11. <laughs> there's a lot of different uh, things we could talk about there. So. All right, folks, this is for you. This is a verse from Revelation. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. God bless. Thank you for listening to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Our email address is impact at st-andrew-online.org. That's impact at st-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and pray for this ministry. Impact is new every Monday, and all past episodes are available. The better you understand Scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.